Starting in Numbers 21, Generation 2 is on its way to the Promised Land. Yeah, there's a few old geezers left from Generation 1, but they're dropping like flies on the journey north. None of them, except Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful spies, will enter the Promised Land. At least, the west side of the Promised Land. God routes the children of Israel toward Edom, Ammon, and Moab. As I said in the last episode, Edom was the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau, and Ammon and Moab were Lot's two children. Israel asked Edom if they could pass through on the highway. Edom would have no part of it and block them. So Israel rerouted. When Israel came to Ammon, Israel asked the same of Ammon. Sion, king of Ammon, came out in full-blown attack. Israel defending itself went on the counterattack and completely obliterated the Ammonite army, and they took their land. This is big. God had promised the land. Abraham got a little graveyard. Jacob bought the land around Shechem. But now God is giving them the large area of Bashan. Next was Moab. Balak, the king of Moab, had much advanced warning that they were coming. So he sent a delegation up to the Euphrates River to look for Balaam, the hex guy of the Euphrates. Balaam was quite a character, apparently well known as a prophet for hire. A prophet for profit, you might say. After two trips, they convinced him to come to Moab to put a hex on the Israelites. What follows in the story is one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament. A talking donkey. Skeptics of the Bible roll their eyes at this. Go read it in Numbers chapter 22. Moses, who we believe wrote Numbers, doesn't seem to apologize for it at all. Perhaps he remembers Satan entered a serpent in the Garden of Eden and spoke to Eve. So this was not unheard of. The New Testament also cites this incident and treats it as if it actually happened. Would you put this roll-your-eyes story in the text if it didn't actually happen? Balaam gets to Moab, and on three separate occasions from three separate mountaintops overlooking Israel, puts a, quote, hex on them. Only it wasn't a hex at all. It was a blessing. On the first hill he pronounces, Who can count these people? I want my life to end like theirs. On the second hill, his hex is, God is with them. God does what he says. No hex can ever hold back this lion. On the third hill, his hex is, Look at those beautiful tents. How those people flourish. Their kingdom will be majestic. And that lion down there will nap, presumably to sleep off a food coma. Balak is ticked. He refuses to pay the prophet for prophet Balaam. So he gives him a few more hexes on the house, including one that a great, great king will come out of Judah. In chapter 25, we hit a low point. What the golden calf incident was to generation one, what happened at Baal Peor was to generation two, Baal worship. The men of Israel got together with the Moabites, specifically the Moabite ladies, and worshipped Baal, and then engaged in shameless activities. You'll note throughout the Old Testament, Baal worship and these shameless activities were almost always connected. In fact, they were a part of the Baal worship. Perhaps it was intimacy with God and intimacy with each other are kissing cousins. Both are a gift of God, but they shouldn't be confused or mixed, ever. God and Moses are discussing this contemptible sin when one of the Israelite men 
walks by Moses with one of these giggly ladies on his arm and walks right into his tent. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, Aaron's son, now the high priest, watches this shameless display. He grabs a spear and enters the tent and shishkebobs the couple in the act. Then God's discipline pours out on the perpetrators. 24,000 die. The Generation 2 apple apparently has not fallen far from the Generation 1 tree. Generation 2, guys and gals are still gross, but will God be gracious? Or will he send them back out into the wilderness? God decides to move forward with his promise. He asks Moses to take a census of Generation 2. The number in numbers is 601,730 in Generation 2, fighting men ages 20 to 50 almost exactly the number that came out of Egypt 40 years earlier. Ready to take the land, in chapter 27 we have an interesting situation. Five daughters come to Moses. They're of the tribe of Manasseh. There's no son in this family to inherit land. They're questioning Moses. Why can't girls inherit property? Moses consults God and God says, Yeah, why can't they? They should. In this patriarchal society, that's an incredible elevation of women's rights. Remembering that Moses can't enter the land, God says it's time to hand off your role, Moses. Hand it to Joshua. And Moses does. God then tells them once they enter the land, he wants to not be forgotten. So he implements festivals requiring the children of Israel to come together on regular basis, not just for the Passover or the Day of Atonement, but for other feasts and festivals. One of these listed in chapter 29 is the Festival of Tents, an eight-day event where they came back together from their homes all over Israel and stayed in tents as they had in the wilderness. As you read this, you may be reminded of the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. I'll just leave it at that. Generation 2 runs into the Midianites and takes vengeance on them. They utterly destroy this people group. When they plunder the dead, they find an interesting character there. Balaam, the prophet for prophet, perhaps he'd been called by the Midianites to hex Israel too. Having conquered land on the east side of the Jordan, two tribes approach Moses with a request. The tribes are Reuben and Gad. Their request? Moses, this land's perfect for grazing our cattle. When God allots the land, can we be on this east side? Moses agrees as long as the fighting men of Reuben and Gad promise to cross over and help their brothers conquer the rest of the land. Numbers ends with God telling Moses to set up certain cities for the Levites. These towns are peppered evenly all over the promised land, so that no one would be more than one day's journey from a Levite town, where they could consult the Levites on how to approach God and do the necessary offerings and sacrifices. God ordained six of these Levite towns to be cities of refuge, again within one day's hard travel from anywhere in the promised land. These cities of refuge were meant to be for someone who claimed to accidentally have shed someone's blood. In these cities of refuge, that person would be spared from the revenge of a relative until the courts could hear his case. When we get to the end of Numbers, the children of Israel have conquered the east part of the Promised Land and are sitting across the Jordan River from the walled city of Jericho. 80% of the Promised Land is sitting before them waiting to be conquered. But they won't just rush across the river. There's something Generation 2 needs desperately before they go.
And we'll hear about that in our next word picture.